Ah, <laughs> uh, remember kids, fraternizing and kissing are not allowed. At least sneak into the woods or wait until the counselors are asleep. But beware, death sometimes takes the form of seduction. Mmm, I remember my first kiss. I was just a young girl living in Paris after the revolution. Liberté, égalité, fraternité. We chanted as we reveled in our victory. We celebrated the night with song and wine well into the early morning. Ah, full of libations and freedom, I decided to find a nice alleyway to sleep for the night. As I stumbled away from the crowd, I caught the gaze of an older gentleman. I was mesmerized. He was a pale, tall man with black hair and dark, piercing eyes. I was drawn to him like a moth to a flame. I was lost in his gaze when he quickly embraced me. Without a thought, I went in for a kiss. It was a deep, passionate kiss. My body began to burn for him. I wanted him, and he wanted me. I could feel his cool fingers glide along the side of my neck. His breath smelled of sweet vermouth. He kissed me hard, and the entire outside world faded away. I could feel him inside me, consuming me. My heart was racing, but my blood pressure was dropping. I was floating on a cloud of pure ecstasy. Ah, it was a short but lustful love. And like all unrequited loves, he disappeared, never to be seen again. But that was a long, long time ago. Paris, 1856. It was the first cold, crisp night of October, and the opera's patrons had transitioned from lace and chiffon to heavy silk brocade and furs. Armand de Valneuve preferred this season's style, and in his black suit, a red carnation tucked into his lapel, his eyes darted through the crowd, taking in the resplendent beauty of the Parisian women on parade through the dark marbled halls of this temple to music. The dripping chandeliers and throngs gave off enough heat to warm Armand to the point of feeling slightly parched and perspiring 
intermission had just begun, and he swiftly made his way to the bar to order a creme de menthe for some much-needed refreshment. Armand attracted a certain degree of attention himself. Hushed voices, flushed faces, and exaggerated giggles seemed to follow him as he stationed himself in front of the barkeep. He was an eligible, albeit mysterious, man about town who was often a subject of the scandal sheets. He had courted Napoleon's niece, dined with a Tsarina, and was rumored to frequent Roman-style orgies, famous within certain underworld circles. Some called him a flaneur, an enfant terrible. He was a child of the century who critics couldn't help but create new vocabulary for. But any way you cut it, he was a devout hedonist. Like all hedonists of this era, he claimed to be a poet, and his verse was his strongest weapon in any seduction he performed. Violette Rochambeau, perched directly opposite Armand, observed him with great attention as she swirled her eau de vie, her scarlet lips pursed in intrigue. This was her first autumn season in Paris, and like Armand, she caused quite a stir in the scandal sheets. Like Georges Sand, she occasionally wore men's dress in the streets, frequented debaucherous salons, and had turned down the proposal of a Milanese duke to the astonishment of many. No one knew where she came from. Some said Lyon, others said Bordeaux. Others conjectured that she was a Prussian spy, or perhaps even a reincarnation of Sappho, as she was also a libidinous poet. As their eyes met, Armand bowed, Violette smiled, and he quickly approached offering her his carnation. Wearing emerald silk and white ermine, her auburn hair piled high and strewn with pearls, she was an incomparable vision and a challenge in Amon's eyes. Onlookers were speechless, watching these two scandal-streaked figures of high Parisian society mingling so openly. As the chimes indicating the end of intermission rang, Armand escorted Violette back to her balcony and promised to take her on the town as soon as the performance was over. She eagerly accepted while sweetly inhaling the ruby carnation he had just given her. In the carriage, Armand stares at the shallow breaths of Violette's plump bosom, perched like two moons peeking from her dress. He imagines resting his cheek on the soft skin, petting her obediently like a virgin groom. Wolfishly, his eyes rise from her bodice to her slender neck, 
the pearlescent glimmer of her earrings and curls, the glittering jewels of her eyes. Violette has been staring out the window, but meets his gaze. She too feels the tension of their passion locked in a visual embrace. She too knows the feeling growing inside her, through her, from her core and peaked to her soft nipples, quietly brushing against the silk of her dress. Armand's mustache curls into his grin and he fondles it pensively. His hands fidget on the bristles instead of the plushness of Violette, which he is so drawn to grab. He must keep his composure. All will come together in the graveyard. Violette looks like a dessert filled with soft cream. He licks his lips and chuckles softly, inwardly. He strokes his thigh. Violette is brimming with desire. Armand would never know the wolf inside her. The moonlight bathes her temples and she feels invigorated. Monsieur, she whispers, I am quite parched. Let us have a sip of brandy if you have it. She points a gloved finger to the bottles behind Armand's head. Ah, ma chérie, Armand purrs. Let us buzz a little with the fairies, no? Emerald's finest to match those eyes. He smiles and pulls a green bottle from the bar shelf. My sweet, forgive me, but I feel so devilish tonight. Let us have a sip of this, if it pleases you. It will bring out the best energy from the dead, and it will bring out the strength in us. Surely her reputation precedes her, but there is no early hour for Violette's true drink of choice, and what better way than to be uplifted in a carriage en route to the carnival of souls? She smiles and accepts the glass from Armand. Together they drink in the night. While warming themselves with libations, the carriage suddenly stops, and Armand pushes aside the velvet curtain of the carriage window to reveal the entryway to that Baroque garden necropolis, Père Lachaise. As the carriage driver opens the door, Armand grabs Violette's delicate hand, tenderly leading her down the carriage steps and onto the cobblestones. Swiftly pulling a skeleton key from his vest pocket, he opens the large iron gates to a sea of marble headstones, willow trees like ghosts swaying between the tombs. Our family crypt is here, so they give us a key to visit when we wish. As if leading her onto a ballroom floor for a waltz, the couple lock arms and glide through the cemetery, the gas lamps and moonlight tossing halos of luminosity over the cool black night. Violette pauses to look at the statue of a weeping woman throwing a shroud over an obelisk. To the right of this forlorn creature, another statue lifts her finger to her lips as if to quiet those silent cries. 
<sighs> Are they not beautiful? Armand asks. They live forever in this city of the dead. Just then a cat scampers down the cobblestones towards them. She sees the intruders, stops cold in her path, and releases a terrible hiss before turning sideways and running. Violette shrugs. They've never liked me much. Ah, uh, they are the devil's messenger. Do not worry, chérie. Please, sit with me. Armand situates himself on an iron bench beneath a lamp, removing a small, black, leather-bound journal from his inner coat pocket. Being here with you tonight, I feel inspired. In this monument to the dead, you make me feel alive. Do you know the feeling, my darling child? Completely. It's nights like this when I wander Paris, reciting poetry to myself, no matter the weather. These quiet late night hours where your only company are these souls in eternal rest. What could be better? Ah, like me, you are a creature of the night, a kind of lone wolf. He coos with a slight smirk as Violette sits beside him and from her beaded drawstring purse removes a small purple book decorated with a gold-embossed heart. Please, Armand, pray you start. Armand's back stiffens, and his chest puffs out as if he were a priest about to deliver a sermon. Oh, Violette, this is a sonnet. It's called The Chemist's. You can find me here like a faithful pet, love pounded in and sprouting bush, saliva slipping, labouche jeweled and wet. Darling, rough hands need plump flesh. Seize tenderly, destroy your petite coquette. With vigor, in routes of disastrous touch, howling cries we cherish and dare not shush. Unfurling such music, our love's vignettes. Dalamatin, we birth ourselves on fire, inflamed, plasmic streams patiently boil. We combust biological. We based lusty organs baked in grief's desire. Our flavors dissipate. Our love unspoiled. Find us hovering molecular saints. Mon cher, what a poem. What talent hides 
behind that furrowed brow. Your poetry takes me to the devil, and I love it. Oh, merci, madame. Let me hear more of your sweet words. Let the darkness guide you. Monsieur, this poem is called Saboteur. Black ostrich feathers cultivate devotion. Through splayed plumes, rouged nipples peak. Lace is caught, then freed, as she unfurls herself, whipping a gold chain. A body once taught abuse now burns effigies, screams bastard hymns to chaos, rips apart the night sky in prayer. Lilith, Pandora, Hecate, may a child of God turn to stone before me. Moaning like a drunken organ, she hitches herself to the nearest bar, nearest alley, and as the body falls, limp and anguished, she grabs her keepsake and smiles, imagining a brooding angel, Satan before the fall, weeping at her feet. Daintily, she extends her bloodied calf, Lick the boot clean. Oh, Violette, you're making my organs moan. What sweet prayer. Mon cher, that's what I intended. Please read me another. With pleasure, avec plaisir. This one is called Measure the Sunset. It's true that time is on my side, eternal sand through the hourglass, the clock unwinds. I hear no ticking, I worship no sun, no dial marks my breath. I exist in moonlight and breathe the wind. Patiently, like Diana, I guide the tide and my prey. I have waited centuries for a love like yours. Bodies of water have dried and refilled like swimming pools in December or a mirage on a desert highway. The last of mine could not be buried. Impossible to say goodbye. I drink of him every day, though he is a goblet of dust. I am home in my immoral vitality. I wear it like a second skin, cloaked in starlight. With a splinter in my heart, an olive branch between my teeth, 
I lure you to my bedchamber once and never again. Stay Merci. Armand, I am speechless. What a confession. Let me read you my final poem. It's a bit of a confession as well. Immense, my darling songbird. This poem is called Bataille. I always wanted to kiss the angel of disobedience in a Spanish bar overflowing with fluids. An itchy gramophone hisses a waltz. Wearing a tattered mink-lined coat, you talk capital and coitus, war and stupidity. It's like a dance around your mind where I open a velvet dressing gown to your shame. To desecrate is to worship, and you like me best, knee-deep in a swamp, rubbing mud into my garters, screaming, bastard, into the blaring dawn. This fleshy, earth-bound bitch turns immortal at the touch of your phantom. If this is faith, then fucking you is my prayer. Mouth breathers orbit my feral constellation, knowing I've been marked by something otherworldly. I ooze psychic pheromones, cosmic cum, a vestal virgin en route to the divine. I wander your graveyard, setting off alarms in my wake. You make me want to howl, Violette. Indeed, I want you any way you please. Your poetry has stirred something deep within me. And that is by design, my darling, my victim. <laughs> Sweet succubus. Armand stiffens. The scent of Violette's neck is intoxicating. Hints of flower and something else he can't quite place fill his nostrils. He swallows and leans in to have another whiff of Violette so close to her neck. Violette turns. Her lips curl into a bow as she smiles coyly at Armand. The moonlight shines on her face and glints on her pearly bright incisors. They are quite long, Armand notices, as she smiles and purrs at him. You smell my lust, Armand, she says. He pauses slightly startled and awed by her luscious teeth. My darling, 
Armand says and chuckles. <laughs> we will drink of the wine that quenches us tonight and always. His mouth widens to a grin, revealing his own beautiful fangs. Violette gasps. They both let out a hearty, violent bellow of laughter. <laughs> Look! Violette points. The morgue carriage approaches. Mm, let's have a bite, shall we? She winks at Armand and rises. He jumps to his feet and extends his hand to his lady. The carriage winds down a path before them and halts several meters away. A young man steps out of the carriage and begins to unload several wrapped bodies. Violette sashays toward him as Armand eyes the goods. Good evening, mon cher, Violette says to the man and swiftly grabs his shoulders with her gloved hands. She pounces on his neck's life force, and he moans, Ugh. Armand listens to the sweet suckling of her lips on her prey as she drinks hungrily. She turns to Armand. A jeweled red ribbon flows down her bodice, staining her dress. Come, Armand, she says, her mouth a wet wound. Have a taste, she licks her lips. Armand places a hand on one of the soft bodies laid on the ground. It is still warm. He rises to kiss Violette's lips. Her breath smells like rust and orchids. Armand leans towards the young man's neck and sucks heartily. They will dine tonight. You've just listened to Everlasting Desire in the Devil's Carriage, written and performed by Carmen Cornu and Donna Morton of Spleen, 1857. You can follow them on Instagram at SPLEEN1857, where they host regular readings. Sound design by Stiff Productions. This has been a Beyond the Screams production. For more information, go to beyondthescreams.com.